all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The medical information presented on Southern Remedy is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and should not be used for any diagnostic or treatment information. The information conveyed does not create any kind of patient-physician relationship. Please consult your health care provider before making any decisions about your specific medical condition. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. Good morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics, and you are listening to Southern Remedy. That's right. This is the MPB-produced program that takes your calls live on the air or emails that you send in, and we try to answer those medical questions that you might have about yourself or about someone in your family or maybe even a friend. Uh, This is Southern Remedy, and uh, got lots of different questions uh, in clinic this week, so we may touch on a few of those. Uh, Some have to do with anemia, some have to do with cholesterol and its impact on cardiovascular risk, and even sleep, um, you know, which is incredibly important for all of us to have uh, not only the quantity of sleep, but quality of sleep as well. So you can ask questions, not necessarily related to those topics, but any other topic that you might have on your mind. It's always a great program when you call those in and share those with our larger audience, because I guarantee you there's at least one to two people out there who are going to have the same kind of symptoms that you're having. So if you'd like to send an email, you can always send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. So when we talk about cholesterol risk, there's a lot of misunderstandings about that. And that's pretty much to be expected when you think about the new information that we have um, discovered about cholesterol's impact on cardiovascular disease and the medications that we have in our arsenal to help treat it. So back when I was in training back in the uh, in the 90s and uh, early 2000s, um, there really wasn't a whole lot of medications. We had some that were pretty effective in lowering cholesterol, but what we didn't have at that time were some medications that impacted how long you live and impacted your risk of getting a heart attack or a stroke, which is really when we're treating cholesterol that's high, that's really what we want to impact. It's one thing if we can get the numbers down, that's great. But if it's not going to impact your overall risk of a heart attack or stroke, then it's really not going to be that effective on your overall health, unless you're just ecstatic by the numbers. But um, but in uh, the late uh, 1990s, we actually developed several different, it was a new class of medications called the statins. So these, uh, the fancy uh, way that they act is they are HMG 
CoA reductase inhibitors. So that is one of the enzymes that helps to manufacture cholesterol, in particular LDL cholesterol. Now there's not just one type of cholesterol, there's different types of cholesterol, and they have to do with function and they have to do with size. So in when somebody gets a cholesterol panel on you, which I think most people these days are doing that, it's going to list several different numbers. It's going to list out total cholesterol, and that's just the, the total number, and it's not additive. A lot of people will say, well, they whoever, whoever added this up for the total cholesterol, they didn't do it right because all the numbers don't add together. Well, that's true. That total cholesterol number is actually an equation that includes differing uh, percentages of those other types. So you can't just add it all up together, and that's what your total cholesterol is. The next thing, and the thing that's probably the most important and has the biggest impact on your overall cardiovascular health, uh, from a cholesterol standpoint at least, is the LDL, the low-density lipoprotein. So um, LDL, you know, instead of memorizing all those long words, what I tell patients is think of L for lousy. So that's the component of cholesterol that's the bad cholesterol. And the higher it is, the worse your overall risk is. And for most adults and and children, most adults and children, you, you should have that number less than 130. Less than 100 would be great. Um, but that's, that's sort of the target that you would want. If it's over 190, it's unlikely that things like diet and exercise changes would decrease that number down to lower your overall risk. So that's something to keep in mind. So that's the LDL, the lousy or bad cholesterol. HDL, uh, high-density lipoprotein, so that's one that is a good cholesterol. And I tell patients, again, a good way to remember that is H for healthy. So the HDL, the higher it is, the better your risk is. So it is beneficial. It's a healthy type of cholesterol. So the higher it is, the better. You can influence it with certain things, too. They're, again, the statins do uh, increase it uh, minimally. But uh, exercise can do that. Uh, certain types of foods in your diet can do that, particularly foods that are lower in saturated fat. But uh, exercise has a big uh, push there. There are some other medications that can increase that as well. So in looking at the general population of people, the higher the HDL, the better. And then there's some other cholesterols in there, but the other ones that uh, are usually measured, there's a third uh, type called triglycerides. And triglycerides are very small particles, and basically in very high levels, they can impact your cardiovascular health, but in, uh, if they're much over 200, then they're going to cause some other problems. And they're usually associated with what you eat. Um, so if you're eating a lot of high, you know, saturated fatty foods, if you have other medical conditions like uncontrolled diabetes, your triglycerides can be higher. And again, they're not as a significant impact on your overall cardiovascular health as the LDL is, but um, the higher they are, the worse they are. Uh, you can also see those, you know, if you drink a lot of alcohol, it's going to be higher. 
Um, uh, and depending on when you test for those, it's going to be higher. So in looking at all of that, you really had to plug that into equation to see what your overall risk is. And if your risk is high enough and that those other things that go into that equation are things like your age, whether you're male or female, um, whether or not you have diabetes or you're a smoker, what your blood pressure is. And it looks at all of those together and predicts over the next 10 years what your overall risk of a, a heart attack or a stroke would be. And if that number is high enough, and generally that's around 7.5%, certainly if it's over 10%, that's pretty high, then uh, it is recommended that you, um, that you would be on a statin. And the two statins that have the most, um, the most data, the most evidence for decreasing that risk is rosuvastatin or Crestor and atorvastatin, or Lipitor. Now, some patients will say, yeah, I know my cholesterol is high. I understand that. Can I go ahead and, you know, over six months or or even a year, can I go ahead and try to change what I eat and exercise better and try to get that down? Absolutely. In fact, that's what we would recommend for everybody. So you don't have to just get on the statin right off the bat. In fact, if you think about how they work, again, we're trying to decrease that risk over about a 10-year period. Uh, They are very effective, though, so they can lower that risk very significantly. Uh, But there may be some other things that you can do. Smoking's one. Good blood pressure control's another. Um, So there are other things to impact that overall risk. So some patients have said, yeah, that sounds complicated. Yes, it is complicated. But it's complicated because it's really looking at what's the most beneficial thing for the individual patient based on what we know about the overall risk and all the risk factors for that and how we can impact that. So just a, just an overview of cholesterol. We do that from time to time is because it is an important thing for your cardiovascular health that you should know. You know, the American Heart Association years ago started a campaign called Know Your Numbers. In other words, knowing your numbers of cholesterol, knowing your numbers of your risk, knowing your weight, knowing your blood pressure, your uh, A1C, if your physician is is checking that, that's a three-month average of your blood sugar. All those things can be very important in predicting your overall risk, and they can be great motivators for us as patients to change things about our diet and our exercise and other uh, healthy patterns in our lives. We're going to go to Hardy from Biloxi. Good morning, Hardy. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Love the show. How are you today? Great. Just a little wet. Just trying to dry yeah, out. <laughs> Quick question, and I'll take my answer offline, uh, especially if we have other callers in the queue. I recently, uh, for the longest time, many, many years, I thought that I was lactose intolerant uh, because it kind of runs in the family. But I have recently discovered that it's not a lactose or in, uh, sensitivity, but rather a gluten-free issue that I have. And I, I've noticed that, I mean, almost immediately after I stopped uh, consuming items with gluten in them that my, you know, uh, discomfort and things are like that sort, you know, changed. What my question for you today is, uh, professional uh, opinion, is I've noticed that there are certain uh, products out on the market. Uh, and in fact, I think one of them is actually even called gluten ease. Uh, certain products that are like uh, supplements that you take um, when you think you're going to consume gluten or, you know, when you know that you're going to consume gluten to, to kind of ease up some of the bloating and the gas and the things of that sort. What are your professional opinion of these products? Should they or should they not be consumed? 
what are your thoughts? And I'll take my answer offline. Thank you. Sure. Love the show. Thanks, Hardy. Yeah, so uh, gluten uh, sensitivity and then uh, severe sensitivity can actually be something called celiac disease. But it sounds like in your case, this is a, a mild gluten uh, sensitivity. So foods that have gluten in them, and there's lots if you look at the ingredients. And a lot of times they'll, on the side of the packaging now, they'll have, you know, gluten-free uh, if it doesn't have gluten in it. Now, it's a little bit different than lactose intolerance. Lactose intolerance is as you get older and in certain populations, we don't make the enzyme that breaks down lactose, which is the main sugar in milk and milk products. So um, there are products that you can, or, or medications that you can take that have that enzyme in them. So if you know you're going to eat or ingest a milk product, you can take like lactate, um, and it's basically that enzyme to break it down. Gluten sensitivity is a little bit different, so it's not that you're not able to break it down. So taking something with whatever food has gluten in it is not going to work in the same way that it would would for lactose intolerance. Um, so I would say you may decrease the bloating just because there's things in there like, and I don't know all of these, so I'm just guessing on the ingredients, but simethicone is one of the more common things that are in over-the-counter medications to uh, decrease bloating and uh, increase you know, amount of gas. And uh, that's common no matter what the cause. But if you have gluten sensitivity, it's not going to like turn that process off. So it may help a little bit. But really, the the only thing to do with gluten sensitivity uh, really is, to, and the easiest, or I would say easiest, but is to just avoid it in your foods. So if you do that, it's pretty pretty miraculous on the the responses for most people. They're like, hey, I cut out gluten in my diet. I feel great. I don't have the bloating. I don't have the diarrhea issues or the other symptoms that you have. And again, it's a spectrum. Like some people are more sensitive to gluten and they can eat it and it's okay. And some people have celiac disease, so they have all kinds of problems, not only the GI problems, but they can have skin problems with it. They can have severe um, allergic type skin reactions like eczema. Um, so that's a little bit different in its in its severity. But really, avoiding those gluten, uh, those foods that have gluten in it is the way to go. And that's pretty easy to do. You can go online, just search gluten, gluten foods or which foods have gluten in them. You can get a long list of things to avoid there. So that's my take on that. I think you might get a little bit of... Um, of of improvement with some of those over-the-counter products. But again, it's not really taking care of the main problem, which is you're exposed to gluten. So it's going to decrease it probably some, but not all. Still okay to take, though. So thank you. Thank you, Hardy, for that question. It's a great one out there. We're going to go to Rachel from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Doctor. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Um, so do you get uh, complaints from some patients about... Um, side effects from statins yeah like muscle aches or and joint aches uh maybe fatigue yeah yeah that's a that's a common um you know question from patients even before you go on it they can say hey i knew somebody they had some uh some muscle aches or pains the fatigue is not so common and honestly the uh, muscle aches is only about 5% of patients. Now, you can have uh, more severe reactions, and I've had a couple of patients that had, um, uh, you know, more severe muscle-type symptoms where we had to totally get off the medication. There are a couple of laboratory um, tests that you can get, blood tests, 
and one is called a CK, and then another's uh, another couple of them. We used to check these all the time, but we found that because of the safety of the statins overall that we didn't have to check them as much or or at all when you started it. But there are a couple of liver enzymes. So if somebody comes to me and they're on a statin and they say, hey, I've got some muscle aches or pains, I'll usually, usually check a CK, a creatinine kinase. That is a level of uh, muscle breakdown that is floating around in the blood. If it's at a high enough level, then I'll say, okay, well, it looks like we've got a little bit of uh, muscle effects, muscle breakdown effects, and that's probably um, that that may be related to the statin. So we'll stop it. The symptoms, if they get better, I won't even repeat it. But if they if they're not getting better, I'll repeat it after that. Um, and then the question is, you know. Uh, their statins are really different from one to the other, and you can't adequately predict which one right off the bat is going to have problems for every patient. But if you have problems with one, oftentimes you can switch to a different one, and you don't have those. So I've done that, and uh, again, but we you want to have the biggest risk reduction with those. So if you've had that, um, that muscle aches or pains or fatigue, you know, checking the lab, if the lab's okay, then you might consider other things, but just stopping it for a couple of weeks. And again, it's totally fine to do that. You don't have to wean off of it or anything. Just stop it cold turkey with the permission of your physician. And then uh, after you've discussed it with them and just see if you still continue to have those symptoms, if they go away, maybe you can try a different statin. And then if you've exhausted all the other uh, statin alternatives, there are a couple other medications like Zetia that will get the, the cholesterol down. Again, they don't have the data, the same data that suggests there's a decrease in heart attack or stroke over the long haul, but at least you're getting the cholesterol down. Um. Have you heard of using CoQ10 with a statin to reduce those possible side effects? Yeah, absolutely. So coenzyme Q10 is something you can take. It's in pill form. And um, they started looking at that because, again, in thinking about the muscle breakdown, that's one that sort of stabilizes that or prevents it in a lot of um, in a lot of ways. Now, the data doesn't suggest it, but I have had patients that, took it and with the statin and their symptoms went away and it's totally safe to take i would say if you're having those you can try it out if it's not working for you then stop taking it but yeah i think that's fine if you if you wanted to take that if you had concerns right off the bat certainly you could take it when you started the statin um and again there's not a whole lot of evidence that it would prevent those symptoms but some patients have found that it does they have less symptoms when they take it Okay, and one last question. Uh, is E-Z-E-T-I-M-I-B-E a statin? Yeah, S, S, so that's Zetia, um, so is the more common name. I, ha- I even uh, have a hard time with that one. So, no, it is not a statin. So it is a cholesterol medication and will lower the LDL or bad cholesterol, but it won't effect in the same kind of way that, you know, the statins that we talked about earlier that have the effects of lowering your risk of heart attack or stroke. Zetia doesn't do that, doesn't have that data, but it does lower your cholesterol. So um, in my patients that can't tolerate a statin, that's usually what I go to as a second line agent. Uh huh. Okay. Thank you so much, doctor. You've given me a lot of answers, uh, and I understood them all. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for calling, Rachel, and that's the kind of questions we need to give that information out there. 
This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls about any kind of health care issue that you might have on this rainy day. You can reach us right now. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Delma in Starkville. Good morning, Delma. Good morning. Uh, I, I really appreciate the emphasis you're putting on the taking care with using statins. Um, I have two young friends in my life who were very compliant patients, and they started having muscle pains, and they were kind of blown off by the doctors, so they kept taking the statins. And one of them is, it's been a couple of years now, he still has debilitating uh, weakness, uh, he went from being um, self, self-employed, self-sufficient person to somebody who had to use canes to get around when he finally get up out, got up out of her bed. Mm. And a young woman who is now still limping because she had pain uh, in her hips and couldn't get any attention from her doctor. She is now off statin but she's still having some pain. So I appreciate your talking extensively about this. Yeah, Delma, it, that, I, and, I, and I hate to hear that. Um, you know, every time, and I'm not saying I, I have never been guilty of it, but I hope I haven't with my own patients. Um, you know, anytime somebody has a symptom, it's, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of something else going on. And even if it's not related to a statin or another medication that they're taking, uh, it still needs to be investigated. And I've uh, actually had one patient that was on a statin, and uh, for and they had cardiovascular disease. They had had a um, they had had some uh, cardiac surgery, and they were doing well. They're very active, but just from their overall risk, um, you know, we had them on a statin. Well, they developed some central muscle weakness and soreness and that was by central muscle i mean like pain in their shoulders and in their hips and had a hard time getting out of a chair and uh you know lifting their arms up uh it was just a a a a lot different than what they had had um you know experienced before so we stopped the stat and really didn't it really didn't uh change and then we drew some other labs in thinking about okay what could this be not just you know, we, we don't want to get tunnel vision uh, that that any symptom is just one thing and it's that one thing all the time. So muscle weakness and muscle pain can be lots of other things. And this patient actually um, ended up having PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica, which is an autoimmune process, not caused by a statin, but uh, it uh, it can be pretty debilitating. And it can have a lot of uh, a lot of problems associated with it, including it can affect your eyesight too. So we got this patient on the on the proper medication, and they got better. So, yeah, I hate to hear that, Delma. I, I would hope that these patients are seeking you know answers to these problems, and if particularly if they're still having muscle weakness and they're off the statin. Um, making sure that it, if it was related to the statin, that, that there's a, there are ways to look at that. There's certain autoantibodies that they can look at and certain lab levels. But, um, you know, I would encourage them, if they're not getting the answers that they 
they uh, they need to try to to nail down a diagnosis on this that they need to talk to somebody else and it can take time um, but still the the one of the main things that when we teach medical students and residents is you need to be present with your patients and the most important person in the room is not yourself if you're the physician it's not the nurse it's not anybody else in the room it's the patient and um, when a patient says, hey, I'm having this problem, we need to investigate that, even if it's caused by um, another medical diagnosis that we may not have considered. That's all the, the that's actually the job of a physician and a physician's team is to try to, um, to try to get to the bottom of that. So thanks for bringing that up. I think for everybody out there who has similar things and they're like, you know, I'm just not getting the answers um, that I, I would like to have and just to see then I think they should keep asking those questions and maybe ask those questions to somebody else if, if that's a, you know, available to them. So uh, that would be my encouragement there. So thank you for bringing that up, Delma. That's, that's an important point. Okay. I thank you for that. But, and then I have a, another comment. Sure. A long, long time coming. Thank you. I really appreciate this program. But I am I'm 81 years old, and I was born here in Mississippi with uh, an ASD, uh, which was corrected when I was about 30 years old. Um, when Dr. DeShazo? Yes, ma'am, DeShazo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he was on, they had uh, uh, a, a person on a cardiologist who uh, follows a uh, Children who have had um, the have had uh, birth defects, you know, the heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and all my life, all my well, young when I was a young woman, I, I had noticed that I had different kinds of symptoms that might come from that, but I couldn't get anybody to listen to that. When he had this person on, he talked about all the things that I have been having questions about for my whole adult life. And I was so happy to hear that. I felt so validated finally till I sat there and cried because Mm. it just had been so long coming. Uh, I was 70 years old at that time. (laughs) So it's taken me a while to call to say thank you, but I appreciate this program so much well thank you delma and uh you know that's that's just a testament to what we try to do is um and and i can't take total credit for it actually uh i I thank you for mentioning dr deshazo who started southern remedy a long time ago and uh was on the program for a long time until he retired and i still have his number so i'm gonna definitely tell him that you said thanks um for that yeah an asd is an atrial septal defect. So it's a hole between the upper two chambers of the heart. And um, it is uh, something that if it goes on for a long time, it runs the risk of a number of things. But one of the bigger things is a, is you can have a what's called a paradoxical stroke. So you can have a blood clot that travels across that connection and uh, then goes up into your brain. So uh, it's something that needs to be closed up. Um, probably when you had it done, that was an open heart procedure now they have ways of doing it through a cardiac catheterization uh, with these little devices closure devices 
But you're right. You can have problems long-term. Some of those are arrhythmias. Some of those are, you know, leakages around the valve, depending on what kind of procedure, uh, or not the valve, the, um, the um, uh, whatever procedure they use to close it. Sometimes you can have that. So, yeah, it's it's something that needs to be followed up. And we do have these, um, you know, specially trained cardiologists that um, follow patients up that they had things done or had congenital problems when they were younger, uh, and they're up to date on all that because we used to not have those. But, um, but yeah, thanks for saying that. Uh, that's good to hear, and uh, it's good to hear the impact that this program has had for 10 years and more. Uh, that is amazing. And, uh, again, hats off to Dr. Rick DeShazo and all the people, particularly at MPB, that uh, have uh, uh, continued to, to put forth an effort to make this show what it is. So thank you, Delma. Right. I agree with that testimony. <laughs> all right thank you for calling you know lots of um people are anemic and generally speaking that tends to be more women than men although men can be anemic and there's different symptoms with that one is just a, a feeling of fatigue or tiredness and uh you just feel like you just don't have enough get up and go uh you can be severely anemic to the point where you actually get dizzy or lightheaded when you're doing certain things it can lead to a faster heart rate and if you have it severe enough it actually can have a lot of downstream effects and if you think about it basically you're just not having you're not producing enough uh, blood cells or the components of blood cells to carry oxygen to the different tissues. So when you don't get enough oxygen, if you think about if, if we took you up, uh, we all went up to, uh, to uh, Mount Everest, there's only a few minutes that would go by. Actually, you would feel it pretty quick, not just the cold, but just the lack of oxygen there. And that's sort of a similar feeling that people with anemia have. And it can be caused by a lot of different things. Either your body doesn't have the components, the building blocks, uh, to make those red blood cells and what goes in them. Hemoglobin is the molecule that carries oxygen. So it's very important to have all the constituents of that. And iron is one of them. So you have to be able to absorb iron in your diet and then put that together into that molecule. So there are some problems in the bone marrow sometimes that interfere with that. Or it might be that you're, uh, that you're have a destruction of red blood cells. So the red blood cells that you have, there may be an autoimmune or other processes going on that are destroying those within your body so that your body can't keep up with that. And then finally, you can be losing it. And again, women tend to have a lot of problems with it because of menstruation, so that you do lose a lot of blood. Uh, if you have heavy periods uh, where you're losing that, or you have other places that you're losing it, like in your GI tract, over time, that can lead to an anemia. So it's important to, you know, there's a simple ways in the blood to, uh, to check your blood for this, but then there's some follow-up ways to tell and to try to tease out what type of anemia it is. So a lot of people say, well, hey, I'm anemic, I just need to take iron. It may not be the, 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 uh, the right thing for you. Certainly there's a lot of people that have iron deficiency anemia, uh, but really, even if you do have that, you got to figure out what's the cause. So are you losing too much blood? What's, what's the, the source of the anemia uh, or the iron deficiency anemia? And there's different ways of looking at that. But um, the first step is getting a CBC, which is a complete blood count, which looks at 
the hemoglobin and hematocrit. And again, these are the components of those red blood cells. If they're low, then that's sort of the overall definition of anemia, uh, and you can match it up with those symptoms. So if you're having those symptoms, ask your doctor if you need to be checked for anemia. Uh, Simple test, and then from there, they'll probably want to do some more tests to try to tease that out. Let's go to Donna in Mobile. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. Thanks for calling. What's your question this morning? Oh, I don't really have a question. I mean, I took statins about 15 years ago, and it just about killed me, every one of them I took. Yeah, some people do unfortunately have that. But again, if you look at, and I wish, you know, what we've tried to look at, uh, and I say we, I mean the scientists have tried to look at predicting that, and we're not quite there yet. But hopefully moving forward, we'll be able to predict exactly who would have a potential side effect from those um, and um, and avoid that altogether. But again, it's not everybody um, that will have that, but it, you're right. Uh, so unfortunately, some patients, just like with any other medication, can have some bad side effects. But it's not something where I would say avoid statins altogether. I think having that discussion with your doctor uh, if you do have some side effects with them early on to address those that we mentioned. Uh, and again, everybody's different. Everybody's made a little bit different. And sometimes we can predict what those um, what those effects are going to be, including side effects. But we don't have quite the tools yet to uh, determine, you know, what types of medications would be better in some people and which ones to avoid, even for things like antibiotics. But we're getting there. There's a a whole different um, um, uh, type of science called genomics that's really looking at pharmacogenomics, looking at how we can match up certain things and taking a blood sample from people and say, okay, we know that this dose of this medication would work best in you. So it's really tailored to that individual person. So Sorry to hear that you had that side effect. And uh, are, do, do you are you taking a different medication for cholesterol? Oh, I, I, I take nothing. I refuse. In fact, one doctor they sent me to a specialist, mm-hmm. and and she said, "Oh, will she tell me?" She said, "I'm gonna put you back on um, Crestor." I said, "No." And she said, "Well, I see that you're depressed." I said, "Well, between Crestor, Lipitor." And, and and I even took Zeddy, and I don't remember why I got off that one, but all all the ones, and I have a list of them somewhere, and I said they all cause severe side effects. And I took Crestor for a year, and when they upped it, when I realized that what, what I was experiencing mm-hmm. was from the Crestor, and, and I was only taking a half a tablet. Mm-hmm. I think it was five five milligrams. I'm not sure. It's been a long time ago. And and they upped it I think to probably to ten milligrams. Was, yeah. The ten milligrams and within a month I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. I could not. I couldn't lift my arms. And and, and even now it makes me want to cry. It was so bad. And every time they even mention it to them uh, and what she told me then and, and this was, you know, Within a six-month time period, my doctor had sent me to her, and she said, well, you'll die, and I said, I'll die first as I take that stuff. And really, I'm, I'm that, that emotional about sure, the sure. stuff. And I understand what they're doing, and I understand, you know, different things, and I understand, you know, I know I've read about um, some things they're doing in New Zealand. I think it's, um, I'm not sure what, I've forgotten what it is, but you may look it up. 
they're doing something about cholesterol and and, and some um yeah, there's there there's a there's a lot of experimental uh you know things about um uh cholesterol that they're looking at in different places. One of which is for people who either can't take statins and are at a a high enough risk that they, you know, they need something to decrease their risk of heart disease or stroke. And there's a there's an infusion um that works totally different than any of the cholesterol drugs out there. There's a couple of more that are in the pipeline that they're looking at, and I'm not sure if that was in New Zealand or not. But again, these are for people who haven't, like yourself, who haven't tolerated. And the other thing to keep in mind is if your risk is not all that high, um, you know, if your overall ASCVD risk, that's the risk that we talked about earlier, if it's, you know, seven, seven and a half, I would just tell somebody, if you have that much problem with the statins, don't worry about it. Don't take them. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to die if you don't take them. It means that you're reducing <laughs> risk. That's really the better conversation to have. And that's, you know, it's not that, uh, yeah, they did reduce the risk of heart attack and st- or stroke uh, in all the trials, particularly, again, with, with atorvastatin or, or rosuvastatin. But it doesn't mean you're not going to die. I mean, you're, you're going to die if you, t- if you get off of them. So... There's certainly, you know, other things that you can do to reduce your risk of heart disease and controlling those other risk factors. So I am I am profoundly sorry that you had that kind of side effects and that that amount of emotional distress over them. But uh, again, yeah, I would again, some people, they work incredibly well. They help to reduce that risk of heart attack or stroke, particularly if it's really high risk. Um, but in other people, you know, everybody has side effects from something. So I would just keep on trying yeah. to do the things that, you know, are going to decrease your risk. I, you know, it, it, I understand that, but I just, it, it, and this was back in a time and I think they pushed it a lot more than what they pushed it. That even, you know, even my sons, they wanted them to take it and they couldn't. It start like from their knees down in their legs mm-hmm. that, and and they they're manual labor. I mean, you know, the air conditioning on top of a big building is what one of my son does, commercial refrigeration. And you know, you've got to climb, you've got to be flexible and do things and he could hardly stand it. And and it's a lot of people, more people than you know, who who deal with some of this stuff. And, yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'm not debating that. You know, as as far as like denying that some people have that. I'm just saying, if they have it, the way that you know, if you look at the guidelines, you should have a discussion with somebody who's at a higher risk and come to it. You know, it's not that I would push it on anybody. I would certainly say, hey, I think we should consider this. If they have problems, then again, I'll do the same thing that I talked about, and then. Move on, but I'm not. Uh, I'm certainly not, uh, you know, forcing anybody to have it. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't some people out there that have it. But in my experience, and if you look at the safety data, it's a, a fairly low number of people that have it. And I know a lot of people. If it's you, certainly that's important. And if you were my patient, I would say let's look at some alternatives. Let's don't even try this anymore. Um, but is it is extremely beneficial for other patients, and they have little or no side effects with it. So, uh, Don, I do appreciate you sharing that. And again, I'm sorry that you had that experience yourself. 
Um, and certainly there's other alternatives out there for you, including some lifestyle modifications. We do want to appreciate uh, all of our callers today. Uh, if you would like to reach us with a question, you can always email us. Send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. And tune in next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.